entering the Freedom Hut. More details coming out about the horrific shootings in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio. We'll talk about what we know now and how the media is covering this. Also, the Democrat candidates continue their onslaught against Trump. We'll get into that and more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. What happened this weekend were acts of pure evil. And we express our deepest condolences to the families of those who lost their lives. And we join every American praying for the injured and their families in their hour of need. Hate has no place in America. And the sinister ideologies of racism, bigotry, and white supremacy must be defeated. Justice will be swift and certain. We're developing legislation to ensure that those who commit mass murders face the death penalty swiftly. The American people can be assured we will confront this evil in our time. We will work together to advance policies that make our families and our nation safer while protecting the constitutional rights of every American. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. We will confront this evil, Vice President Pence says. For that is what we are up against. It is evil. That is the most clear, the most precise, the most straightforward description of this that anybody could ever come up with. The administration understands The pain, they understand the loss, they understand that people want action. And they're willing to consider whatever is sensible, whatever is prudent in order to try and prevent the next tragedy. What do we see, though? A coming together of Democrats and Republicans, our elected leaders deciding to put aside their political differences, even for a few days, maybe a week to allow for some unpoliticized grieving, perhaps a bit of unity among Americans who reach out from their hearts and, yes, offer their hearts and prayers, their thoughts and prayers to the people of El Paso and Dayton, Ohio. We come together in moments like this because we do care about each other, because we are good people, because the American people care about one another. And yet, what are we up against in the news cycle? The most horrific, insane, unfair things being said about the president day in and day out by people who not only should know better, I believe they know better. They're just trying to capitalize on this moment. They are playing to the rage of the mob against this president. And as they do so, they claim to be concerned about the way we talk to each other in discourse about politics, about issues that have sensitivities, and it's, it's just stunning. It's just wrong what they're doing. It's unfair. It's unfair to the rest of America. It's unfair to a country that should be allowed 
some space to process. Instead, what we have are just the worst venal demagogues imaginable running around saying all kinds of crazy things about the president. If what they say about this president is true, what are people of good faith and goodwill supposed to do in this country? What could be more reckless than saying you believe the president is a white supremacist? This is now mainstream among Democrats. And in terms of the media, we've already seen with the New York Times changing its headline from a straightforward, this is what Trump said in his speech to, well, he said something, but he didn't condemn guns because the New York Times readership was complaining about it. Because liberals in this country have been feeding each other a steady diet of anti-Trump hatred for years now, and they can't accept anything else. They don't know anything else. They become hostile to the notion that Trump is not as evil as they have told each other, and now they themselves usually believe. Then we also see a disparity emerging. A tremendous amount of focus on the El Paso shooter, on his manifesto, on the political motivations behind this, and so little attention seemingly paid to the horrific shooting in Dayton, Ohio, never mind also the shootings that occurred in Chicago over the weekend, which killed, I think, six or seven wounded dozens. That's that's a far less political utility to Democrats. So we hear much less about it. And yet those people, those innocents gunned down every bit as dead as anybody in El Paso or Dayton lives taken away, families crushed. See, it's all about the narrative for the Democrats and their allies, in the mainstream media. And that's why Dayton, Ohio seems of less interest to them. They don't want to talk about that one as much. They don't want to talk about that shooter as much. That's for sure. Why is that? You might wonder. Well, because when you look at his social media presence, and we'll have more information about this in the days ahead, there's certainly plenty of preliminary reason to believe that he was a leftist. He was a Satanist who supported Elizabeth Warren, who supported Bernie Sanders, He was pro-Antifa. He hated police officers. Does that sound like someone that's responding to Trump's rhetoric to you? Not saying it's impossible. We don't yet entirely know what the situation is. But they were willing. The media was willing to draw very fast conclusions about everything. In And I understand a manifesto does make it hard to miss what a person is trying to do, to miss their intent. Uh, Although I do think that these manifestos are also being left behind as an add on to make us tear each other apart. They leave this behind. It's like lighting a fire as they walk out the door, knowing that it will burn the house down long after they're gone. Because we point fingers at each other and say, see, it's your side. No, it's my side. No, it's your side. I'm old enough to remember when there were Democrats under the Obama administration, when we had a number of mass casualty shootings attributable to ISIS-inspired attackers, and you had the Pulse nightclub shooter saying that he's doing this for ISIS 
and he's doing this for Allah. And the FBI thought, why not excise that from the transcripts? So I, I, and the media went along with this, like, yeah, that seems normal. That seems like that makes sense. So I'd really rather not have to pretend that we don't know there are political agendas at work here with the way the mainstream media reports on tragedies and the way that Democrats frame them politically. This individual in Dayton, yes, tremendous red flags. There's uh, interviews being published with an ex-girlfriend of his who said that she, that he showed her video of the Pittsburgh shooting massacre and that he clearly had a fascination for this. He was obviously mentally ill. And no one stopped him. He had a kill list on a bus. No one stopped and He was taken off by police. No one stopped him. Makes you wonder what really has to happen for us to finally reach that point where someone will take action on this one. But the the separation between these two shootings that is purely a result of politics just goes to show us all that even in the most the most tragic and sad moments that this country faces, there are people who would rather stick their thumb in the eyes of an opponent who has nothing to do with this, in this case, Donald Trump, than take the opportunity to try to make things better, to come up with real ideas or real solutions and work as Americans to stop the next mass shooting. They just they don't have any interest in that. They they want to they want to demonize people like former colleagues of mine who are advocates for the Second Amendment. They they want to humiliate people who think that they should be allowed to enjoy Second Amendment rights. It's about otherizing people that believe the constitutional right to defend oneself and the check against tyranny the Second Amendment gives us all is some kind of anachronistic joke. They want to make fun of us. There's nothing funny about anything that's gone on this week, but Democrats seem to think that we're funny because we take the right to bear arms seriously. And they think we're evil, of course, at the same time. I mean, they mock us and then they think that we're bad people. This is what we're up against. Oh, and people like Cory Booker running around trying to sound tough. Trying to just make some headway in a very crowded Democrat field. I mean, here's here's I am Spartacus himself joking about what he wants to do to the president of the United States. Play nine. I want you all to know something right now. Um, I, I am angry uh, about this president. And there are days that I get really upset. And anger is not a bad emotion. It, it's just how you channel that anger is what's important. And so I am definitely, I, I was running up to an Iowa town hall. We had hundreds of people there. And I ran up. And just before I get to the stage, this big dude puts his arm around me and says, Hey, man. Uh, dude, I want you to punch Donald Trump in the face. <laughs> and I go, dude, that's a felony, man. Making jokes about, yeah, some guy wants to punch Donald Trump in the face. Yeah, this is what we, this is the Democratic Party that pretends to be the, the serious party, the party that wants to end violence and wants to make things better. I haven't heard a, a, a single takeaway from Democrats that would do any, first of all, it's none of it is new. We've been through this all before. And I have not heard one thing from them that I thought, wow, that's that's a real effort to reach out across political boundaries, to reach across the no man's land that separates Democrats and Republicans these days on any major policy issue and say, let's try this. Let's work together on this. No, instead, you have prominent. Prominent on air talent at places like CNN and MSNBC 
saying that the president is a white nationalist, a white supremacist, that, that he has blood on his hands because of this. You have a guy who had his own show at CNN. I mean, CNN is a joke. It's a trash heap now. Should be ashamed of itself, but it's not. You had a guy at his own show at CNN until pretty recently and was held up there. Reza Aslan held up as some kind of international expert on terrorism and radicalization. The guy's a the guy's an awful person. <laughs> so start with that. And he's cursing at the the president's daughter on Twitter openly, saying horrible things to her and her whole family and, and directed it at her whole family as well. I mean, the left is just full of these these lunatics, these maniacs who think that, oh, there's been a mass shooting. Now's my opportunity to unleash all the bile I have stored up, all the darkness in my soul. I'm just going to fling it at every prominent Republican that I disagree with about the tax rate and health care. They need to get a grip. They need to get a handle on things. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson put out a list in trying to calm people down, a list of how many people die in this country a day from different things to show that, you know, really, in the grand scheme of things, gun violence is actually a very small slice of the mortality problem in this country. It's, I mean, for example, medical errors is orders of magnitude larger, daily medical errors. Obviously, cancer and heart disease, and accidents. Many more people die from accidents every day than die from gun violence. Now, this is not to say that gun violence is not a problem. It clearly is. But he was trying to contextualize it. And oh, my gosh, he's a liberal. Oh, my gosh. They completely turned on him, freaked out. Can't have a conversation. Can't be rational about this. Just have to play into the moment of politicized anti-Trump frenzy. It's it's appalling. But let's wade through some of this together, my friends. Let's look at the latest data and information. We'll talk about whatever are being put forward as possible. I shouldn't even say solutions as approaches, as ways forward in the aftermath of a tragedy like this. We'll discuss that together and uh, and much more coming up here on the Buck Saxon show. Stay with me. The way the president talks. If he were a principal in your high school and they talk that way, they'd talk to have the, the people, the parents be coming in saying, fire him. It's outrageous the way in which we characterizes people. It's the thing that brings all the hatred out in the open. They think it's legitimate now to come out and do the things they do and talk about. It's about white nationalism and white supremacy against minorities. There you have the top Democrat contender saying Trump is a white nationalist. I mean, they... The slander will not stop. They will not stop. But they want to make things better in this country. That's what Democrats want you to believe. They would like the temperature to come down. They just wish that Trump would be a little more civil, and then then perhaps they would beat him halfway. At least that's the ruse. That's the con. Joaquin Castro. You know who he is, right? He's running for president. He tweeted this out today. Sad to see so many San Antonians as 2019 maximum donors to Donald Trump. The owner of a bar, uh, he names the barbecue, the owner of he names a restaurant, he names a realtor by name. Then he writes, their contributions are fueling a campaign of hate that labels Hispanic immigrants as invaders. And then there's a list of 44 San Antonio donors who contributed the most you can under federal law to Donald Trump's presidential campaign. 
folks, this is this is essentially a a target list for social shaming, if nothing else. This is why Democrats, they're such snide little liars about this. We just want transparency to get the money out of politics. No, because they're they're the little hysterical jerks that like to do these name and shame campaigns. They're the ones that want to present all the different donors for you name it, a conservative think tank, a Republican candidate, anything. And then they want to organize boycotts and harassment campaigns. They want to show up outside your house like they do to Mitch McConnell, which we'll talk about later on today. What happens if somebody on this list gets attacked? What happens if somebody on this list has their home broken into, burned down, their business destroyed? Do you think that Joaquin Castro is going to feel bad for saying that they're funding hate? Do you think that Joaquin Castro, who's an elected official, is going to have a moment's a moment's remorse for essentially doxing. I mean, I know this is public information, but he's compiling it and he's contextualizing it in a way that he's saying, hey, these are the enemy, folks. These people are the enemy. Go get them. That's what this is. Trying to hurt their businesses, hurt their reputations. I keep saying it because you must remember, this is who we're up against. I would never advocate for this. And notice how Republicans don't do this. This is on their side. They feel just fine ruining you, destroying your business, putting you in a dangerous position so your family is threatened because of who you donate to or support politically. They feel completely justified because after all, they say you're supporting a white supremacist. So why shouldn't they feel that way? In their minds, you're getting what you deserve. And they have the the brazenness to tell us that they want to have more civil conversations they are appalling the democratic party has collectively abandoned honor and decency and they want to lecture us on the same i'm sorry not today not on my watch and i'm damn sure it's not going to happen on my show We've got more. The president's the president of all the people. And uh, what he wants to do is go to these communities and um, grieve with them, pray with them, offer condolences, and quite frankly, uh, offer thank you and appreciation to those who are first responders and put their lives on the line and were able to take out this shooter so quickly. Those American citizens who put uh, their bodies in harm's way to protect their loved ones. And he also wants to talk about potential solutions and how we keep this from ever happening again. That all seems completely reasonable, doesn't it? That was the White House Deputy Press Secretary uh, Hogan Gidley saying, look, the president wants to go and do the following things with his visits, his planned visits tomorrow to Ohio and Texas. He's going to Dayton and El Paso. And there are people out there who are saying that he is not welcome. Now, citizens have a right to say that whatever they want in terms of the president being welcome or not, that's fine. There are politicians, however. There are leaders who are saying, no, we don't want the president here. Sorry, that whole not my president thing doesn't fly. It's not true. He is, for anyone living in America, your president. You can pretend he's not, but that does not change the reality. And after a tragedy like or a double tragedy, like what this country has just suffered, that any 
mayor or anybody at all in local government would say that the president of the United States is not welcome to come and do what he can to promote healing, to promote unity, is just indicative of Trump derangement syndrome. That's what this is. Someone like Tim Ryan, who does look like he's constantly in a state of surprise and and like a, like a he's got flop sweat going on. Like, oh, gosh, what's going on? You know, Tim Ryan thinks that he's going to make his way up from zero point zero 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 one percent of Democratic primary voters to maybe point zero 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 two percent of, you know, that's the Tim Ryan plan. He's just, he's cursing on TV. And this guy's a congressman from Ohio. And, you know, saying all kinds of just nasty stuff. The president is willing to push forward initiatives that he thinks would be helpful in trying to prevent the next tragedy. And this is the kind of meet him halfway approach he gets from Tim Ryan. Play 18. It is so disingenuous for him to step up to that podium yesterday and talk about mental illness like he cares because he, he has a lawsuit now to repeal coverage for 20 million people who need it. So don't give me this baloney that all of a sudden you're for mental health coverage and you're for treating mental health in the United States. I don't believe you, Donald Trump. I don't believe you. Baloney, huh? I mean, no one should really care what Tim Ryan thinks, except for the voters of Ohio who pulled the lever for this guy. What the heck are you folks doing? And I don't care who the other candidate was. It had to be better than Tim Ryan. But yeah, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to have a bipartisan conversation. These people aren't leaders. These people are hacks. They're demagogues, panderers. If we're going to speak about demagoguery and pandering, I think demagoguery is actually not a fair word for her. It's too big and fancy a word. Just be just being a a total phony and a fraud and saying whatever she thinks she has to in the moment to get the most support from the immediate people around her. You got to think of Kirsten Gillibrand when that stuff comes up. I mean, she she's really in a class by herself. She's she should be an embarrassment to the Democratic Party. I mean, she's just nothing but stupid talking points from her all the time. It's it's like MSNBC built her in a lab somewhere and unleashed her on the public. Here's here's her take. Remember, the president is going tomorrow to he's given speeches. He's talked about it, the evils of white nationalism. He outlined different approaches that he's willing to to look into in order to try and stop the next mass shooting. He's doing all these things. Exactly what the Democrats pretend they want him to do. And here's the response he gets from someone, a Democratic presidential candidate, no less. Like Gillibrand, play 20. And unfortunately, President Trump is unwilling to take responsibility for his own actions. He's unwilling to recognize that he spent four years demonizing the most vulnerable, being racist in his rhetoric and his language, uh, calling Mexicans rapists, uh, talking about people at the border invading this country and infestations. What does he think is going to happen? He has emboldened white supremacists. He has emboldened white nationalists. And it is all now come home to roost and so he needs to take responsibility i mean she a moron of course he's not going to take responsibility because he's not responsible for any of this he needs to take responsibility why and you know what the 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 most amazing thing about that utterly insipid nonsense from gillibrand 
if the president did stand up and say, you know what, I've been, I, I, I am too harsh in my language sometimes. I'm going to, I'm going to try and be more cognizant of the sensitivities that are out there uh, when it comes to issues that touch on race, and I'll be more precise. And I just want all all people in the American family and 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 everyone of all of all races and ethnicities and religions to know that. I hold you in, in equal regard, and, and I'm a president for all of you. You know, if he gave the Gettysburg Address of, you know, mea culpas, which I don't think he should do, but I'm just saying, if he did do that, you know what they would say tomorrow? They wouldn't say that was a great speech, and I'm glad we finally got through to the president. I hope we can work with him going forward. They'd say, he's still racist. He's still a terrible person, and you need to vote him out of office, and maybe we should impeach him, and maybe we should send him and his whole family to prison. These people are nuts. They have brainwashed themselves and each other on the left. They no longer have a rational area that you can engage in when it comes to Trump. They've completely and utterly lost it. And they're also a bunch of, of just total phonies on this. The, the whole first day's criticism was Trump isn't denouncing white nationalists. And now it's, well... It doesn't matter because he's not taking responsibility for all the hate that he's created, even though he's denouncing white nationalists. You know, tomorrow it'll it would be something else. None of this is helpful, by the way. Democrats have no plans that are going to help any of this. That's really what bothers me about this more than anything else is that people lost family members. They lost loved ones. This is a ter- It is a terrible tragedy. It's evil. It's just wrong. There's suffering, man. These communities have been ripped apart. And Democrats don't have the common human decency to just focus on that problem for a couple of days first before turning it into some political circus. They pretend to care so much about those who were killed in El Paso and Dayton. The Democrats go out of their way to make us all think that that is more important right now than anything else. Except for fundraising off of it. I mean, that's really important for Democrats, too. Except for slandering the president of the United States. I mean, that's that's really important also. You know, just lying about the issues, lying about what they've said in the past, lying about what the president said in the past, all for political advantage. That's maybe more important to the Democrats than solving the problem, than addressing the issue, or than even allowing people to heal and recover with, with, uh, with the dignity of their elected leadership giving them support instead of giving them a lecture all the time. Here's a thought. I'm sure there are people that lost loved ones who are Trump supporters. What does Gillibrand have to say to them? To gun owners out there who say, well, a Biden administration means they're going to come for my guns. Bingo. You're right if you have an assault weapon. The fact of the matter is they should be illegal, period. Look, the Second Amendment doesn't say you can't restrict the kinds of weapons people can own. You can't buy a bazooka. You can't have a flamethrower. The guys who make these arguments are the people who say the tree of liberty is water with the blood of patriots. We need the protection against the government. We need an F-15 for that. You need something well beyond whether or not you're going to have an assault weapon. So Biden is a moron. No, I really I really mean that. I mean, he's, he's not he's not a smart person. I know he's been the vice president and the Democrats. They all secretly know that he's just not very bright. He does a good imitation of a smart person. It's like he's an actor who has studied politicians his whole life. And so he plays a great politician on TV. 
But the moment you dig down beneath the, the most superficial, grinning, smiling, backslapping, talking points, prepared speeches, nonsense. It's a guy who doesn't know. You know what from you know what I was going to say something else, but I couldn't. He doesn't know something from. Shinola producer Mark, what is Shinola, by the way? Is that really a thing? Never heard know what the other thing is. You don't know blank from Shinola. You've never heard that before. I know blank from blank. Oh, okay. Well, that probably is another way to do it. All right. So anyway, by let's break this apart, shall we? Let's break apart this stupidity. Okay, Uh, let's do this. You have Biden saying that there should be an assault weapons ban. We've already been through this. We've already had an assault weapons ban back in the 90s. No person who looks at the stats, looks at the numbers, comes away from that and says, you know what? This was a good idea. This really stopped a lot of violence. It's just not true. You have a couple of hundred people total in the country killed by rifles each year. A couple of hundred. It's a very, very small overall part of the gun violence in America. Um, So let's start with that. Why do they want to ban assault rifles? Because it makes the people who don't like guns and don't like gun owners feel better. Makes them feel happier about themselves. It makes them feel like, well, you know, there's something that we're getting out of this whole thing. Those silly gun owners can't keep their crazy weapons of war anymore. They mean, I suppose, the millions of people who currently own completely lawfully with no threat to anyone else. uh, The millions of, of my fellow Americans who own so-called assault rifles or what would fall under the and you know people don't need to be pedantic about this okay i I love it when i get other conservatives fuck there's no such thing as an assault rifle yeah guys i know but there is such a thing as an assault rifle if they write a law that says x y and z equals assault rifle and we're going to take it from you so you know people can keep telling me there's no such thing as i know there's no such thing as an assault rifle but they will designate rifles as assault rifles and then take them from you And it is based primarily on cosmetic features, but so be it as far as they're concerned. That's what they will do. So Biden's whole, I'm going to take your assault rifle. This is because he's trying to just play to the left wing base. And he's he's not losing any votes because of that. And he knows it. So it doesn't do anything, though. I mean, anyone who says that an assault rifle ban is going to stop mass shootings just doesn't know what the heck he or she assuming those of that person's preferred pronouns, is talking about. I know, I can't assume the pronouns these days. Hi, my name is Buck Sexton, he, him. I just want to start doing this all the time. Producer Mark, do you, do you, st- do you like to state your pre- uh, preferred pronouns or do you like to leave us guessing? I like to make everyone guess. Right? Because that way, if you're having a bad day, someone steps out of line, you're like, I prefer Z-X-E. I do not like gender designation to be guessed. Right. And then people have to immediately grovel at your feet, producer Mark, and say, we are so sorry. All hail producer Mark. I should do the same thing then. Right. I I could keep people off balance. I walk into a job interview like, hey, how you doing? Good to meet you. So um, excuse me, sir. No, no gendered language in this job interview. Thank you very much. I could probably scare them with a lawsuit. You know, 
Just saying. Somebody comes in and says, hey, Buck did a great job. He's, he's really doing well in this interview. You're up next. Excuse me, sir. All right, no, back to, back to assault rifles. Sorry, I know, gendered pronouns. I got a little digression going there. So assault rifles, banning them doesn't do anything. We know this. But then you get into this other point, and I hear libs say this all the time, and it's as though they don't know anything about state control, about history. They just don't know anything. They say, oh, Piers Morgan, who's, oh, I'm Piers Morgan. I'm going to have a show on politics in America because I can sound fancy to people who don't know any better. Uh, he said something like, you know, they're going to have 5,000 nukes to fire at you. So what difference does it make if you have an AR-15? Really, that's, I, I guess that's why we so easily uh, triumphed against the North Vietnamese and why Afghanistan was so easily pacified. And I mean, name, name a country where there was a mismatch between the insurgency and the government based only on large uh, conventional weapons and nukes. And I'll tell you, and, and if the population was well-armed, I'll tell you a country, they had a really hard time suppressing an insurgency or perhaps even weren't able to and lost. To control a population, you need more than nukes. You need a population that is incapable of defending itself door-to-door, house-to-house. All one needs is a passing familiarity with recent history to understand that. This is really not that complicated, right? It should not be a surprise to Joe Biden that you don't need F-16s to prevent government tyranny. If every government stooge, if there was a tyrannical takeover of the federal government in this country, if every government stooge who went house-to-house saying, you know, give me, Give me your, uh, you know, your firstborn child and all of your money. And that person might end up uh, going to millions of, you know, that that government agent is going to millions of homes where there's a realistic chance that the inhabitant has some some decent firepower, weapons in common usage. That changes the whole calculation. This goes back to, I believe it was a Japanese admiral. Although some people have told me this quote is apocryphal, but there's this quote about from a Japanese admiral in uh, World War II that they never could have invaded the U.S. mainland because it would have been a rifle behind every blade of grass. True of the Japanese invading. It would have been true if the Japanese had invaded the U.S. mainland. And guess what? It would be true if any government authority went tyrannical. So it is a check on tyranny. It's a lot easier to enforce tyranny if you can go house to house and all the people can do is try to, you know, stab you with a knife or hit you with a rolling pin. You, you can clear out rooms. You can clear out houses pretty easily when that's what you're up against. Somebody's got a, an AR and a couple of hundred rounds. Government's going to have a much tougher time unless they're just going to blow up the entire house. But remember, they want to control the population. They don't want to just eradicate the entire population. Governments want to be in control of citizens so anyway it's just a, it's a foolish argument they make it all the time uh we're not we're not expecting to go nuke to nuke with a tyrannical government we're expecting to be able to put up a fight because that is all you need to be a check on tyranny maybe somebody should tell biden that but he won't care because he's just an imbecile the shooter in el paso posted a manifesto online consumed by racist hate in one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. Now, I've heard the critique. Oh, he didn't write that. He's just, 
Fair enough. But he said the words and he did say white supremacy is hate and should be treated as domestic terror. Yeah. Important for you then to say that this is the same man who called white nationalists and Klansmen and neo-Nazis very fine people who asked for more immigrants who look like those in Sweden and Norway, the, the whitest places on the planet, while describing immigrants from Haiti as full of AIDS, describing the people of this community as rapists and criminals, uh, talking about people as though they are animals or subhuman. This necessarily results. You saw that manifesto. The words that he was using were many of the same words that the president has been using. This necessarily results in what, Beto? What does it result in? Interesting, he trailed off there because, uh, you know, now, now we do have a shooter in Ohio that is left wing and is a fan. I, I just I'm curious what Beto was going for there. I, I he, he just changed in the middle. This necessarily results in in what people acting out or people calling out the president could be either. It could be either. I just don't know how crazy Beto is willing to get because he already blames the president for something that no sane president, no sane person rather, could blame the president for. He's already put this on the lap of the commander in chief as though this is something that he bears responsibility for. And if you don't agree with that, you're clearly a bad person. And Beto is just full of lies here. Trump didn't say they're very fine, that, that, that white nationalists and Klansmen are very fine people. He said when it came to the dispute over monuments, Confederate monuments and taking it down, there are, there are fine people on both sides of that issue is what he meant to say. That's what he was trying to say. He had already condemned white nationalists. Trump doesn't like any of those Tiki Torch losers. Come on, man. Everybody knows that. And then his whole thing about calling people of this community rapists and murderers. He's never called the, the people of El Paso rapists and murderers. Trump, in a sweeping statement, said that, you know, Mexico is not sending us their best. And some of the people they're sending, you know, he says they're sending us rapists and murderers. And some of them are very fine people. What he's saying is that there are people that come across through illegal immigration that are criminals. That's just a fact. Just go type in MS-13 and illegal illegal alien and see all the news hits you get. There are rapists and murderers who come across the border illegally. And Trump was the first president to come along or first candidate to come along and be willing to say that, which is a fact. Of course, he doesn't think that all of them. That's why he said there's some that are very fine people. No one thinks that he really believes that all of them. that would be moronic beyond belief. In fact, we know a very small percentage of the people that come across the border illegally are criminals of any kind. But if we're going to talk about the valedictorians and say, oh, look at this, we should just, you know, the more the merrier, more illegal is better. We should also be able to say, well, there's also a downside to this. There are criminals who come across as part of this surge. There are law enforcement problems that, and in fact, there's a lot of them. But they, they still misrepresent what Trump says. If what Trump, if Trump is so terrible, if his beliefs are so awful, then why do they always have to lie about what it is that Trump stands for and what he says? I think we all know the answer to that. Um, you know, he says he, all this all this horrible stuff about the president of the United States, far beyond anything that you heard Republicans saying 
when they were running against Barack Obama in 2011. I mean, they never spoke in such defamatory terms about Barack Obama. And oh, my gosh, good heavens, if you said anything about St. Obama, people just jumped all over you. But it's not just Beto. I mean, look, Beto is a desperate man. He's, his candidacy is a joke. He probably should have dropped out yesterday. He probably should be long gone as a presidential candidate. He can't get any, um, any wind in his sails at all. Despite all this media love for him, and they treat, they treat him like he's a serious person, a serious candidate, when he's neither. But, you know, Joe Biden is out there doing the same. Joe Biden's taking, uh, taking cheap shots at the president and his record on this one right now. And play clip six. There's no question that his rhetoric has contributed to, at a minimum, at a minimum, of dumbing down the way in which we as a society talk about one another. The way we, we've always been, look, we've always brought the country together. We've never, you know, we the people, we hold these truths self-evident. He flies in the face of all the basic things that we've never really met the standard, we've never abandoned it before. He looks like he just flat abandoned the theory that we are one people. Based on what? I mean, again, this is a really terrible thing to say about a president. He's abandoned the theory that we're all one people. No, he's he just believes in the theory that people who are in the country legally should be treated differently than people who are not in the country legally. That That's that is a novel that is, that is a crazy statement now to the modern democratic party that there's any difference that there should be any differentiation between those who are in the country legally and those who are in the country in a legal status those who are citizens or who are permanent residents a part of the american family forever legally should be treated in any way differently from those who just show up and say i want to be here now sorry broke your laws don't care give me welfare benefits give me access to jobs give me free school you know and that that's it's a, it's an amazing thing to watch. It's a really disheartening thing to watch how the Democrats are all trying to outdo each other. It's a race to the bottom for who can say the nastiest things about the president. You know, you, you had Beto responding there to the president, calling out white nationalists and saying that they're re- that they're disgusting, that they're horrible, that you know that they have no place in America. Does that does that even factor in? No, Beto's like, oh no, he's still a terrible racist. He's still the worst. He's still awful. You know, Joe Biden's running around uh, saying that this is the first time that he's ever heard Trump condemn white supremacy. That's that's his take. I mean, look, Joe, Joe gets away with more than anything else, just not being very bright. And the media constantly, constantly covers for him for just being a an intense, an intense mediocrity, because, look, Biden is staying strong in the polls. I'm my, my prediction about Biden may have been wrong all along. We'll see. But here's what he says about Trump and condemning white nationalists. Play eight. And for the first time today, the first time I've ever heard him say he condemns white, white supremacy, white terrorism. When times pres- do I have to reject? I've rejected David Duke, rejected David Duke. Uh, I've rejected the uh, KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. From the time I'm five years old, I rejected them. I put it on Twitter last week. How many times? You know, it's an amazing about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. Racism is evil. And those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. And for the first time 
today, the first time I've ever heard him say he condemns white, white supremacy, white terrorism. Maybe Joe should just listen then. Those were all different instances of the president publicly from his platform as the leader of the free world, just saying what we all know, which is that white supremacy and, and racism are, are terrible things. They are evils to be fought and and to be uh, to be destroyed, to be annihilated, to be pushed out of society at every turn, at every possibility. How many times does he have to say it before they'll at least stop saying that he won't say it? I mean, can they can they just give can they just give him credit for that? Can they just stop pretending that he won't say, oh, he won't say it. He won't say it. Can they stop doing that, please? That's just a lie. He says it many, many times. And they must know. I don't know. Joe Biden's so out to lunch. Who knows what he really thinks. And then you've got. I mean, it's, it's, it is so frustrating. You got Cory Booker running around saying the crazy stuff that, that he says. I mean, you, you have so many of these candidates who just don't care about the damage they're doing to discourse in the country while complaining about how our discourse has coarsened, about how we're not civil to each other when we're talking about politics. And we're going to talk about Mitch McConnell and how they've got, you know, they, they had protesters outside Mitch's house calling him Myrtle tur- murder turtle and, and, and hashtag massacre Mitch, putting that on placards. These people are acting like total lunatics. They're all Democrats. They're all left-wing supporters. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Democrats love to talk about civility in politics, and yet we know they're deeply uncivil on a regular basis. We know that they say horrible things about our law enforcement community. We know they say terrible things about Republicans. They like to call the president of the United States a racist, a white nationalist, more or less a member of the KKK. And last night, you had protesters that had gathered outside of Mitch McConnell's house yelling death threats and hashtag massacre Mitch, which, yes, I know, can be construed as a double entendre, but massacre Mitch was what they were showing on uh, on social media and, and sharing on placards outside. I mean, they went to this guy's house in the middle of the night, folks. Who does that? What kind of lunatic thinks that showing up at a senior citizen who just broke his shoulder, by the way, and is recovering at home, showing up at his house to chant about how he is, quote, murder, uh, sorry, murder turtle and yelling things like, come out, come out wherever you are. And then a woman was yelling. I can't even read it. It was blank. Don't give nobody a blank. Blank your thoughts and prayers, Mitch. Blank you. Blank your wife. Blank everything you stand for. This is all on video. I mean, I heard the video last night. It's just it's just lunatic outside Mitch McConnell's house, screaming and, and, and threatening him and his family. And no surprise here. Do you think the Democrats say that they're going to back off now and maybe their maybe their rhetoric can cause nasty things to happen too maybe it's not just a republican problem as they say it is when someone can act uh, act on their own to engage in violent behavior because of 
contentious politics. Mitch McConnell trying to sleep last night, can't, trying to recover from a broken shoulder, which I'm sure is very painful at his age, and I really mean that. Meanwhile, AOC, uh, who has been calling out Mitch McConnell on on Twitter for quite some time, uh, she decided to make a huge deal of some guys at a, I forget what this event is, it's in the, uh, it's in Kentucky, I forget what it's called, but it's some kind of a fair or something. And they uh, they had a bunch of young people who are wearing, you know, young men, white men, who are standing around a cutout of AOC, and they all have Team Mitch T-shirts on, okay? And it's a cardboard cutout, folks. Okay, It's not a real person. It's a cardboard cutout. It's very obvious. But some of these guys, and they look to be about high school age, uh they're they're doing thumbs down but one uh, i'm sorry one of them has his hand kind of like he's grabbing her throat and another is hugging and kissing her on the cheek this is like the definition of you know childish dumb teenage boy stuff that you shouldn't do but they did and you know it's look the, the guy that's doing the grab the throat thing i mean that's a but hugging a cardboard cutout and kissing it on the cheek, I, I don't even know if we're supposed what we're supposed to be upset about that. It's not actually, you know, it's not, it's not actually assaulting anyone or doing anything terrible. It's not violent. It's a hug and a kiss on the cheek to a cardboard cutout. So, oh, but do you think that Ocasio Cortez, who has millions and millions of followers on social media, do you think that she takes this in stride? No, she tweeted out, "Hey, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell." These young men look like they work for you. She tweeted again. Just wanted to clarify. Are you paying for young men to practice groping and choking members of Congress with your payroll? Or is this just the standard culture of Team Mitch? Uh, Okay, folks. These are high school students that just are wearing T-shirts that say Team Mitch. That has nothing to do with Mitch McConnell, with his office or anything else. Um, and you know, this is just obviously going to, these kids are, their lives are probably never going to be the same. I'm sure they're already getting all kinds of death threats and people are saying horrible things about them. And they may, if they're applying to colleges, their colleges may pull their, Oh, you know, all this stuff, right? Cause essentially, you know, doxing all these kids or pushing them out into public view where AOC is trashing them and making a big deal of this, uh, that seems to be an overreaction to me. That seems to be a, a, a bad thing for anybody in a, in a really powerful position to be doing. Uh, Mitch McConnell said that these people have nothing to do uh, with him. And, you know, this is not, they're, they don't work for him. They're not affiliated with him. And, you know, but does AOC worry about, you know what what uh this might mean that these kids wearing team mitch t-shirts in this viral photo uh now look they did have in the caption i see here break me off a piece of that look it's i'm not i'm not saying what they did was was okay i'm just saying look they're 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 dumb kids they look like they're about 15 or 16 years old uh, quote this is what the mitch mcconnell spokesman said these young men are not campaign staff they're high schoolers and it's incredible that the national media has sought to once again paint a large target on their backs 
rather than report real and significant news in our country. Yeah, why is this a news story? How is this a news story? Well, because AOC tweeted it out and may have ruined these kids' lives because one of them hugged a, hugged a cardboard cutout of her and kissed it on the cheek. I mean, they're not even they're not even doing anything pornographic or, you know, this is not stuff that, you know, is way, way. I mean, the guy with the throat choke thing is that's a stupid thing to do. And that's over the line. But the, the hug and the kiss on the cheek thing is, you know, it's it's immature, stupid kid stuff. But now all these kids in the photo, even the ones that are just doing thumbs down, they didn't know. I'm sure they didn't know their buddies were going to at the last second in this photograph, you know, grab and. uh, But this is what happens. You know, AOC has way too much power and very, very little wisdom. And uh, does she get called out for her supporters going after Mitch McConnell in the middle of the night? You know, for do, do Democrats and their rhetoric saying that Mitch McConnell refuses. I mean, this is the, how this all started. AOC was saying Mitch McConnell refused to take action on background checks. Now, that's why people are dying. Does, does that ever get talked about as maybe a little too intense, a, a little bit unfair to the geriatric Republican House majority leader? Nope, of course not. This is always a one way street, folks. Republican rhetoric can lead to bad things. Republicans are responsible for what anybody who's even vaguely associated with the right does. Democrats just have a get out of jail free card on this all the time. They get away with it all scot free. AOC and all the rest, they can say whatever they want. Look at the horrible stuff they've been saying for days now. They have no shame whatsoever. I saw him uh, get pulled off the bus after school one day. And apparently he had made a uh, kill list and... I happen to be on it. I don't know why. I look up and there's two police officers standing on the bus asking him to get off the bus and go with them. David Partridge was another former high school classmate of the gunman. He says when a friend told him about the kill list and disturbing text messages about hurting people, they both went to the police. This guy could go to the school, he could kill people, he could hurt my family, he could hurt you. So you were concerned he was a school shooter back then? Absolutely. She contacted the police along with her parents. I got off the phone with her. I contacted the police along with my father. There you have students who alerted police about the Dayton, Ohio mass shooter, explaining what their what their very understandable concerns were and, and that they did take action. The police were notified. Now we get into a a difficult part of the conversation. When we are trying to uh, rely and when we're turning to police at this stage, there's already been a societal failure. There's already been a failure of parenting, of community, of you name it. I mean, I don't know if it's if all of the above or just some of it, but once you have a, a person who is of high school age who is making lists of people he says he wants to kill, there has obviously already been a whole lot that has gone on that was very damaging and that uh, has not sufficiently addressed this person, uh, this person's problems, whether they are mental health related or, you know, whatever, you know, they're ideologically based, whatever it may be. Because now you're going to have everyone say, well, what, what can we do? What what should police do next time around? This came up also in with the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooter. This has come up with other shooters who weren't just 
putting red flags out there. They were more or less standing on top of a building, waving a giant red flag and yelling over a bullhorn, I'm a threat. But when you pass legislation that allows for, what, the incarceration of somebody who has not yet done anything, they'd have to have the ability to prove, the law enforcement would have to be able to say that this person was involved in a conspiracy, uh, a conspiracy to involve, you know, to take life, a conspiracy to conduct a mass shooting. And you don't have to be a brilliant lawyer to think of the ways that you would defend against that. And you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to think that that could very easily be abused. That this has become a way that people settle scores with each other, that it also will limit the willingness of any one individual to seek certain mental health treatment for fear of being uh, handed over to the handed over to the police and and treated like they are a a threat when they should not be. I mean, these are all the very. This is why the mental health component is very complicated. But even the policing part of this is very complicated. There's a study that's in the National Institute of Justice that you can you can pull up if you like, you can read, where they looked at all of the different uh, mass shooting cases stretching back, I think, for about 10 years and more or less crunched the numbers on it. And they created a model of radicalization to terrorism among lone wolves. Here's what's on it. Personal and political grievances. Affinity with online sympathizers or extremist groups comes next. Then it is finding an enabler. Then it is broadcasting intent, followed by triggering event, and then terrorism. Those are present in a majority, in some cases a vast majority, of lone wolf radicalization cases, irrespective of what the specific ideology may be. But I look at this, and it reminds me very much of the jihadization uh, chart that we used to work from at the NYPD Intelligence Division that had uh, self-identification, pre-radicalization, radicalization and indoctrination, and then jihadization, which is really just all a fancy way of saying someone is aggrieved, someone finds people that make them feel like they're able to be powerful and that tell them who the enemy is and that they want to take action. They learn more about it. They become uh, ideologically brainwashed and then they become violent based on the brainwashed uh, ideology that they have inculcated in themselves. Now that's all well and good. I mean, this is a, a framework for understanding these things. The problem is that it's very hard to tell when someone's going from one of these steps to the next. And what action can you really take even if you think it's going to happen? We do not yet have a pre-crime unit in this country. We don't have the ability to lock somebody up for what we think they might do. And the moment you start involuntarily committing people, that sends a signal across the mental health community that, you know, you better watch out how much you tell a psychologist or psychiatrist about the problems, even if you're constructively trying to deal with it and don't pose any imminent threat. Perhaps the state of you name it disagrees. 
wants to take away your freedom for a while? And how do you prove that you're not crazy once the state has said that you are? Absent any wrongdoing or, or actual proven threat. This is why you, you have to be very... There's a lot of, of nuance here. There's a lot of competing goods. This is not just, oh, there are evil psychopaths running around. Let's just lock them up. Yeah, we could all agree on that, but how do we determine who's an evil psychopath and who's somebody who's just crying out for help? Somebody who just wants attention, needs mental health resources, needs time with a, a therapist, time on medication, whatever it may be. And this is also where people would point out that those who have some form of mental illness, the the numbers would show you, and I'm making up the number here, but it's something like, you know, 0.001% of them are a danger to the public because of their mental illness. Or, you know, it might, it's probably even less of a percentage than that. You know, it's, it's a tiny, tiny fraction of people with mental illness are criminally insane, is, is how you could describe them, or, or criminally uh, mentally impaired. It's a very, 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 very small percentage. So you're going to pass laws now to try to get at that tiny percentage? There are risks here, folks. There are problems that come with this. And we ask a lot of law enforcement to be able to sort through this, especially at a time when I will point out law enforcement is not exactly being treated all that well, especially by the Democrats. In the, unless you're an FBI or Intel person, who was trying to trash Trump. Democrats don't like you if you're in law enforcement. They don't like local police. They don't like local sheriffs. They think they're all racist. They don't like Border Patrol. They're Nazi prison guards. Democrats say crazy stuff. And yet you have Governor Cuomo up in New York. You know, New York is one of the places where you've had these videos of young people throwing um throwing water at police and then laughing about it and really just being disrespectful and creating a a hostile environment for law enforcement on the streets. Here's what Governor Governor Cuomo says about this, about the water dousings. Play clip one. The police officers walked away and got back in the car. That is wholly unacceptable. I don't know how we're training police officers, how when you are basically assaulted, and that's an assault, you retreat. Okay, Governor Cuomo, so now if somebody in the NYPD tries to effect an arrest on a bunch of kids who are a bunch of teenagers, youths, whatever, who have thrown water at them, you're going to back them up when they have to wrestle one of them to the ground and maybe one of them gets a scrape on their forehead? You're going to back them up when maybe they have to pull out pepper spray because they're mobbed by other people that are yelling and taunting them, yelling at them and taunting them. If I were in the NYPD, I wouldn't have faith in Governor Cuomo. Nobody needs to take water dousings in the face without reacting. Governor Cuomo would like you to take action against the water dousers. I don't know if that's really a word, but. Cuomo thinks it's a word. Yeah, we ask a lot of law enforcement. We essentially ask them to protect us all the time, to take a tremendous amount of criticism from the Democrats, and to sometimes be left high and dry if they make a mistake. Sometimes I think we ask a little too much of our law enforcement in this country, or maybe we should just be, be, a, be remember, a little, uh, a little uh, more Peter Strzok, right? Remember, remember Peter Strzok? He was the guy that gave testimony on Capitol Hill Sounds kind of like this. 
and he says that he did nothing wrong when he was in the FBI and he was trying to stop Trump from being president. But yeah, remember that guy with the uh, he had the whole Lisa Page, his lover, who was an FBI senior FBI lawyer. And he had those text messages about how Trump is disgusting and how he could smell the Trump supporters. And he did all of that on official FBI devices. Wow. Let me tell you that the folks that I used to work with in law enforcement always knew, and it didn't really have to ever get talked about, that if you want to vent about the bosses or if you want to vent about anything, you either do it on a private device, but even then I wouldn't put it in writing. You call from a private phone and you speak in real time. You don't write it down. You certainly don't write it down on government property, which is what these two did. I mean, it was astonishingly bad OPSEC. I mean, the operational security here was was terrible. And this is an individual who, Peter Strzok specifically, was involved in three of the most politically sensitive FBI-involved incidents of the, the Trump era, really, of my lifetime. Okay, Peter Strzok was the guy who was involved in the Hillary Clinton email investigation, was involved in the, was one of the agents who sat down to speak to General Michael Flynn on assignment from Sally Yates in a in a left wing, just a, a left wing partisan uh, attack maneuver, which is what that was, just find some way to mess up Trump's people. I mean, Sally Yates is the worst. I mean, these these people are the worst abusing their government power because they have Trump derangement syndrome. And, you know, you, you've got Yates, uh, you know, sending him to do the interview with Michael Flynn. And then you have struck also involved at the latter stage or at the uh, at the stages of the um, uh, investigation, the FBI investigation of Russia collusion. So this guy isn't just someone who happens to work at the FBI. He's someone who is like Forrest Gump involved in some of the most important events in events in, in the history of that organization just happens to be there. Right. Just happens to be involved in these different things. And we're told that it's not a big, well, rather, he's now filed suit uh, claiming that he should be reinstated, that he should have back pay, and that the only reason he was fired was the political pressure brought by Trump and his allies against him when he's at the FBI. I I just have to say, you know, the FBI really needs a, a serious, serious house cleaning. And, and there are there were deep state folks at the top, Comey and and Strzok and Page and McCabe and you know uh, who very obviously are are not chastened at all by what they did. They, they do not feel any any remorse or regret for their hyper partisan abuse of power. In fact, they're self righteous about it. Look at Comey. They're sanctimonious about it. You know, they just decided, oh, that's right. The the oh so evil attorney general, Bill Barr, uh, decided who I think is is great and fantastic in the role that they weren't going to bring charges against 
uh, Comey for leaking that memo, giving him effectively the benefit of the doubt and then some. Remember, even the decision to charge would be smirch Comey's character and 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 that would be a black mark on his reputation if he even if he beat it in court. Um, you know, the decision to charge is in and of itself damaging to somebody. So they're not charging him. They're letting Comey off. Oh, because I, I thought that Barr was so unfair and he would just do whatever Trump's bidding was. No, Barr looked at the law and he said, all right, on balance, we've got to give him the benefit of the doubt here with the leaks. Would I have done that? Probably not. But I think Barr understands the way the law applies and was trying to be honest about it. But now you now you see that Strzok wants to get back in action. And, and there's also he wants to go back to the FBI, he wants reinstatement. And uh, there's also the Judicial Watch report that came out of all of these leaks, lots and lots of leaks in 2016 and 2017 and into 2018. Many, many, many people, people that were unidentified but were fired or were uh, put on unpaid leave for a time or, you know, getting serious slapdowns for leaking to the media. I have to say, I, I would wonder what those leaks were really about. Hmm, what was going on in 2016 and in 2017 that would make somebody risk their career and possibly even their freedom just to tell the media something? What issue would be so high profile and so contentious? Hmm, I wonder if there's anything going on politically in 2016 and 2017 Ah, I think we all know what the answer is. This Inspector General report that's supposed to come out next month better be a a just complete hot wash of all this nonsense that's been going on over at the FBI. Because clearly what's what's happened so far, uh, they they don't accept that they're still fighting back. I mean, the whatever accountability there has been now these, whether it's McCabe or Strzok or Comey, they all claim to be victims of Trump. They don't say they don't say they failed. They don't say they apologized. Maybe they say they used some bad judgment and then victims of Trump. You know, I, I would just note that whether it's McCabe or Strzok, they didn't want to give General Flynn the benefit of the doubt. You know, he gets ruined. He gets he faces criminal sanction. He faces the destruction of his reputation, loss of his job as national security advisor. I don't think these senior FBI officials should be getting the special treatment that they've been getting. Decades of Chinese misbehavior, decades of China not living up to its commitments, uh, fundamentally stealing our intellectual property, engaging in forced technology transfers, discriminating against American and other foreign companies. Uh, and this behavior was accepted by the United States for far too long. We're planning for the Chinese to come here next month. Um, and if there's a good deal or good progress, he may recon reconsider some things. But similarly, he has also said if there's no good deal and no progress, he may also reconsider some things on the other side. The president would like a big win uh, before the election. Doesn't have to worry right now. Uh, but the idea that it will be, uh, let's say, Anything more than one kind of win, I think it's going to go on until 2021 uh, when I think that Xi's reign may be over. That's the 100th year of the uh, People's Republic of China, uh, the Communist Party. Uh, and I think that this whole notion of invincibility with Xi is a little bit more uh, made up by the Western press. Uh, and I think it's tiresome. 
I'm listening to Mr. Wonderful, and I think Mr. Wonderful's dead right on everything because it's factual. Uh, It's empirical. And thank you for speaking the truth. I don't know how. Why aren't you more fearful that the media will hate you? You know, Jim, I just have to fight it every day, and I'm really tired of the last 15 years. Finally, an administration that's batting for the guy that puts his capital up there and gets screwed over, over and over and over and over again. Enough already. Let's fix it. Couldn't agree more. And that's exactly what's going on. Thank you for speaking the truth. It's really refreshing. A lot of uh, different voices weighing in there on China. Some of you probably recognize Kramer from Mad Money. Mr. Wonderful whom I've interviewed before, and i got to say, I, I found him to be a very, uh, very affable guy and, and smart. Uh, then you had Bolton weighing in on this issue. You had Larry Kudlow, who's also a very affable and smart guy, by the way. Bolton, affable, I don't know. I leave that to you. Does have a great mustache, however. I mean, that is a, that is a walrus level 10. That's a serious mustache. But the Chinese are digging in for what looks to be a long-term showdown over this whole trade war issue. And this means that if we have any real economic disruption in advance of the election, uh, this could get this could get tough pretty quickly. Uh, things could go south on us. We had one of the worst days in a long time in the stock market earlier this week. And now there have been additional, essentially both sides have fired more shots across the other side's bows, so to speak. I think Kramer there said the 100th anniversary of the People's Republic of China. It's actually the 70th. So I think he just got a little. It's all right. It's all right, Kramer. That's what Buck's here for, to get the facts right. But he's referring to how Xi Jinping, the Chinese premier, is planning a huge celebration for the 70th anniversary of the People's Republic in of China in October. And that means that he needs to show himself standing strong against any U.S. or any Trump effort to try and bend him to America's will. So he's he's not going to want to budge on this. And as a result, uh, you have some U.S. measures going into place here, like the designation of China as a currency manipulator. That just happened earlier this week. Um, You also have the farm belt in America feeling the pain of China's uh, tariffs on on our farm products. Uh, You know, imports from China are, are getting hit with more punitive tariffs. I mean, you have a lot of back and forth here. But one thing that I have to say is, And there are risks. There's no question there are risks here. And folks, I mean, this I think this could be the issue that decides and I'm not sure in which direction, but that decides whether Trump gets four more years as president. I think this could be it. You may see a Chinese trade war be the determining factor, because if things if we have a big essentially recession, I mean, a correction in the economy is a nice way of saying a recession. If we head into a recession here and the global economy starts contracting, then it's going to be much easier. Right now, all these Demo- all the Democrats have is Trump is a racist, Trump is mean, he's orange, you know, they don't like his hair. Uh, that's really what they resolve themselves to because what are they going to say? All this prosperity and, and economic dynamism is just, is bad? I mean, they're going to root against the American economy because the American economy is doing very well. 
But if that were to change, then I think you're in a real position where you could see all of a sudden this is the issue that over everything else, because Trump also has has pushed for this. This is it, this isn't just a cyclical economic matter. Trump decided that he was going to hold the Chinese to account finally. Now, I think that he's right and he should get credit for being right on the merits. The Chinese and this is what Mr. Wonderful is talking about. The Chinese have been ripping off American companies and American investors as a result, right? I mean, the companies are funded by investors. So the Chinese have been ripping us off for a long time. There's really no question about that. The Chinese have been currency manipulators for a long time. The Chinese have been stealing intellectual property. They've been engaged in, you know, these forced transfers of intellectual property. That's when you partner up with them in China and to do for your business to do work there, you have to give them your proprietary technology and access to it. And then they either just take it and use it or reverse engineer it for their own purposes. All the cyber theft, the industrial and intellectual property espionage that has been going on for years, for decades now, without any serious pushback from the United States. Uh, this is now the first time where it seems that this is uh, we're going to do something about this. But keep in mind some of the, the possible outcomes here. You have the, and this was discussed, I remember, in the movie uh, not the big short, what's the other movie? Um, Too Big to Fail. When we had the U.S. economic near collapse in 2008, at least near collapse of the banking sector, uh, the Chinese premier, there's this scene they play out where the Chinese premier says to Hank Paulson, who was the treasury secretary, that China and Russia were considering selling U.S. treasuries at the same time on the market to essentially collapse the treasury market and and send the U.S. economy into into a spiral, right? But that didn't happen. There are some who are wondering if the Chinese, though, will do something akin to that going forward. Even if it hurts them, they think it might hurt us more. You know, it would drive the the uh, the yuan up, but that doesn't mean that they wouldn't be willing to do that. So that's one extreme approach that could happen and, and keep in mind there are also other possibilities there are other outcomes here that we can't necessarily foresee you had in this wall street journal piece today she yin hong a professor of international relations at beijing's renmin university give them this quote which seemed a little bit on ominous um China is not just preparing for a protracted trade war, he said, but also an escalating conflict. Trump's actions have seriously agitated the Chinese leadership, who now realize there's no chance of reaching a fair deal with the U.S. Well, of course, that's spin at the end, but what is an escalating conflict? What does that mean? Nobody really knows. But Trump has taken this issue on. This is, I think, in many ways, this is is on foreign policy and certainly on trade. This is his signature issue. Uh, North Korea, the missiles, the short range missiles that missiles that were fired off. Look, I, I don't think Trump's going to end up getting a nuclear deal with North Korea, but we've traded nothing in the process with China. We're facing down the number two power economically and militarily in the world, and we are suffering as a result of facing them down. If Trump doesn't come out on top of this at the end, there may be a political price to pay. I think that much is clear.
clear. Team, we haven't had Buck's books in a while here to talk about. Not, not books that I've written, although that's coming up too. I have a, a book on the Democrat project to drag us all into socialism. That's the book. So it is in the process of being written. Um, not as in I'm going to start writing one day, I promise, as in I think I'm about 40 pages into it right now. So it's it's moving. It's moving along. We're going to get to 200. That'll be the first draft. And then we'll see where we go from there. But I've got another book that I want to talk to you about. And I will say this is the fastest that I have read a nonfiction book in a long time, although I think Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino's uh, Justice on Trial book will be another one that I probably finish in in two days. But this book is it's a little bit uh, a little bit older. It's been out for a couple of years now, uh, and I knew a bit about the story, but I didn't know it in its entirety. The book is Bad Blood, not to be confused with the Netflix show Bad Blood, which is about the Rizzuto crime family. Uh, Sicilian Mafia crime family in Montreal, which is actually a pretty good show, as I've told you. Pretty well done. The guy who plays the the character who's really a, uh, uh, almost feels like a, a second coming of Ray Liotta from Goodfellas, he does a really excellent, he's got kind of an unusual name, he does a really excellent job. But Bad Blood, the book, is about Theranos. Now, this was very big in finance circles, and in Silicon Valley startup circles when, when it, uh, the story happened. In it. And it spans about a, a decade or so, uh, the, the whole tale. But I'm telling you, it is remarkable. This woman, Elizabeth Holmes, drops out of Stanford and says that she has this patent that she's writing and says that she has figured out a way to do blood testing on just a few drops of blood from your finger instead of a venous draw. You know, the old, what you think of with a blood test, right? You go in and someone sticks you in the arm with a needle. They draw blood out. Usually they draw a few tubes, depending on the tests. And that's how we do it. Well, this would just be a little, a little prick on the finger and then a home test that you could do. That was the initial theory. And what you, what you read about in the book is that this woman then manages to essentially fake it until she thinks she's going to make it because the technology never existed. She never had it. And she brings on board these huge names, including George Schultz, the former Secretary of State. Uh, She brings on various Silicon Valley royalty, the best lawyers from Silicon Valley, the best, uh, you know, the best venture capital people in Silicon Valley. She brings in all these different individuals. Nobody with any expertise in healthcare, though, to be on the board or be in an overseer position. She sells all of them on her vision and how this is going to change healthcare. This will help people live longer. You won't have to say goodbye to loved ones so early in life because these drug these uh, tests will allow the drugs to be administered early enough to save lives. Quite a pitch. And she is a sociopathic fraud. And it is amazing the stuff that she does. Elizabeth Holmes in this book, she's a couple of years younger than me. And she's essentially my my uh, contemporary or close to it. And maybe even quite a few years younger than me. But she decided, yeah, she would have been, what I think she dropped out in 06. So yeah, she's four or five years younger than me. She was at one point a self-made billionaire. 
a self-made billionaire worth between four and five billion dollars on paper, never had a working product, never even had a working prototype of a product and raised eight hundred million dollars from investors. Eight hundred million. Astonishing. How could she keep this secret? Well, she claimed that it was proprietary technology and she hired very aggressive lawyers, including David Boyes, who was on the board of her company and was brought in as the hatchet man to threaten anybody who was going to tell the truth about this company. And you might say, well, Buck, what's the big deal? You know, companies come and go, rise and fall. Well, this wasn't a, a software company where they could fix the glitch. They were faking blood testing technology and giving people false positives, false negatives, knowing that their results were entirely unreliable. They convinced Walgreens and Safeway to put all kinds of money forward for these testing centers. And at one point, and this is the real, I don't want to you know, give away all the best parts of the book. This woman and her boyfriend, who is also the number two in charge of the company, who comes across like a sadistic lunatic, uh, you know, a guy who got essentially won the lottery in the dot com era by being a part of a startup that had all this money that completely collapsed after he left because it was just a it was a, a fake. It was an inflated fake company, really. Uh, but the, 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 what they decided to do was at one point hide all the results, sue anybody, threaten anybody with bankruptcy who was willing to speak about what was really happening. And they were going to run HIV tests with a technology that flatly did not work. Think about that. You're going to give people a, a false positive on an HIV test and not, and not feel, and knowing that you may be doing that and not feel absolutely horrible about it. I, it it's an amazing book. And the people that gave her money Oh, she was close with the Clintons. Of course. Oh, oh, her and Chelsea Clinton buddies. I mean, oh, of course. She courted all of Silicon Valley and Democrat Party royalty. It's one of the reasons why I think the federal regulators were so slow to act against her company. There's so much. It is. Look, it's written by this Wall Street Journal reporter who's the guy who basically brought down the company by exposing it. This guy, John Kerry Rue. It's the best book I have read in in a long time. And so I would I would highly recommend it to you. But there's just so much in it. It's a, such a reminder of how uh, people, you know, you, you know, everything you need to know about a company by how it treats it, by how the bosses treat employees. Uh, you know that there are all these people that are held up as being so brilliant in society. And and look, General Mattis went to bat for Elizabeth Holmes. Saint Mattis of the Pentagon looks like a total clown in this book. I mean, just has no idea, thinks that this woman is brilliant and awesome. I mean, that's another part of this that I just can't get past. She wears black turtlenecks and black pants to mirror Steve Jobs. I mean, she's effectively doing a copycat thing of Steve Jobs. She has this voice that people who worked with her claimed to know was fake. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Holmes and my voice is down here. So, I mean, she had this whole, and people were transfixed by her. 
and giving her millions and millions of dollars for a company that never had any peer-reviewed data, a company that never had a product, that never had a patent, that just was a fraud. Now it's facing all kinds of, it's facing a criminal uh, fraud, for criminal fraud charges. It's already faced all kinds of SEC sanction, but it's just an amazing book. And that this could happen in this day and age, you have to really read it to believe it. And, and it's so thoroughly sourced and, and well, well done and well laid out for you. So Bad Blood by John Carreyrou. It's been out for a couple of years, but I like to give you recommendations when they're really worthwhile. It's one of the best nonfiction books I've read in a long time. I've already recommended Justice on Trial for you with Carrie Severino and Molly Hemingway, uh, but Bad Blood is really excellent. I read it, uh, I, the flight out to L.A. and the flight back, I finished the whole book. That's how much I liked it. So that probably tells you something. I'll be right back. I wanted to do a quick update here on the Jeffrey Epstein case, which has completely disappeared from the headlines for understandable reasons. But nonetheless, my concern all along has been that somehow there won't be a full accounting. Uh, there won't be any real justice for uh, not just the, the young women who, who were abused here, it's also a question of the American people understanding how our justice process was also uh, undermined by all of this. Uh, there was clearly bad stuff going on behind the scenes. There's no way that Jeffrey Epstein should have gotten the deal he did. And so that's why I found it interesting to see today that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has ordered a criminal probe, a criminal probe into the Palm Beach Sheriff and state attorney's handling of the Jeffrey Epstein case from 2008. This is where you find the most inexplicable so far. Maybe we'll find out what are, what really happened here, but inexplicable dealings by public officials. The Palm Beach County District Attorney, who was a Democrat, by the way, as much as we know that uh, Acosta had to resign from his uh, position as Secretary of Labor, there have been, uh, there's been far less attention on what should have been the slam dunk case of the Palm Beach County District Attorney who decided not to push, uh, not to push charges. Look, I'll even say this right now. I'm actually, and I, I could Google it and look it up right away, but it's indicative of how much less, less coverage it gets that I don't, have that district attorney's uh, name in mind right now. I can't think of it off the top of my head because it's covered so much less. It's been such a smaller part of this. And he's the person who decided to do the, that district attorney decided to do the work release, to do the, uh, to not bring, I mean, the, the sheriff, the Palm Beach sheriff handed him what he thought was a slam dunk case of uh, sex with minors, child pornography, sex trafficking, all kinds of just horrible, heinous crimes. And for some reason, the uh, Palm Beach County DA decided to, or state's attorney, whatever his designation is for Palm Beach County, uh, but the prosecutor decided at the state level not to push charges. Why is that, folks? Yeah, I mean, Epstein's a big Democrat donor, but uh, that's... That's a lot to make go away. That's this is somebody who was willing to risk his career and certainly his good name and obviously at some level his 
integrity and maybe his soul in order to keep Jeffrey Epstein from facing real justice. There are reasons for that. Something happened. People brought influence to bear. This is not conspiratorial. This is just obvious, I think. Someone brought against this Democrat prosecutor a lot of leverage. Somebody who really had access and power and influence and was able to make this go away such that if, if Epstein, you know, if you hadn't had a few things like the Miami, or if you hadn't had the uh, attorneys that unsealed some of this because of the victim's rights law that was violated in this process, and then the Miami Herald investigation, Epstein would have gotten away with it, folks. He would have. He, this guy almost got away with running an underage uh, women human trafficking ring and pedophile ring. It, it's outrageous. So I hope Ron DeSantis can get some answers here. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. All right, team. Let's get uh, let's get into it, shall we? Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Let's jump into the latest roll call here. Hunter starts it off. Uh, Your segment on Fox News about guns and gun control was a refreshing take in today's climate. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Hunter. Yeah, I was on Fox this morning and I did Tucker's show tonight at 830 If you missed it, you can watch the replay at midnight Eastern time. So I'll be on at 1230 a.m. Eastern time uh, tonight. If any of you happen to be up or if you want to set your DVR. Um, But yes, indeed. Uh, Alicia writes, wow, first time I've ever been really disappointed in you. Uh Uh-oh. Due process and innocent until proven guilty are the basis of our country and our freedom. Red flag laws are the most egregious assault on the Constitution I have ever seen. It's seizing property from a law-abiding citizen based on someone else's word without consequences for them for lying, and the person has to prove that they weren't going to do something that they haven't done. Aren't you always going off about how you can't prove a negative? So, Buck, when was the last time you beat your wife? Question mark. Isn't that always your example? Shame on you. My husband is a combat veteran with a diagnosis of PTSD. After serving seven tours deployed with SEAL teams as an EOD tech, you know what terrifies him? having his constitutional Second Amendment rights taken away because of his diagnosis of PTSD, which is exactly what people with these laws would do. I never thought I'd hear an anti-constitutional position from you. All right, Alicia. Um, first of all, see, I, I do read. I think some of you think that I don't read the criticisms uh, on this show, but I, I do as, as well. I read them on air as well as read them when they're sent in. A few things, Alicia. First of all, I did say yesterday on the show that my concerns would be uh, that somebody would have their Second Amendment rights truncated. And when I just say concern, it, it's a red line for me that anybody, uh, who, for example, who had served in the military and had PTSD would have any rights abridged or taken from them. Just so you know, there are there are places already in federal law when you apply for a background check, for example, um, if you have, uh, you know, they don't, when they ask about mental health for background check stuff, my understanding is at least that you, if you have a PTSD treatment, that's not something that is that is listed or if it is listed is not considered an adverse 
circumstances in any way, as it shouldn't be for somebody who's applying for a clearance. It has nothing to do with your trustworthiness or anything else. Uh, as for your concerns about red flag laws, look, red flag laws already exist in a number of states, and it's not due process free, or at least it shouldn't be due process free. You have to go before a judge, and the judge then does what's the equivalent of a preliminary injunction. Effectively, you would have to turn in your weapons if a judge decided that you were a threat, uh, and then you would have an option to uh, try and get that overturned, or perhaps there would be a 30 or 60 day period where the order was in effect and then it would pass and then it would have to be renewed. So there's a process involved here. Now, I share your concern that this will be abused. And one of the problems that was raised yesterday, I believe by our friend Charles Cook, is that many of the states that have red flag laws are also very anti-Second Amendment in general. And so they will use red flag, they will abuse red flag laws. Uh, keep in mind, though, Alicia, that there are already a lot of states that abuse restrictions on the Second Amendment in general. I mean, New York, a state whose gun laws I know pretty well, is one of them. Uh, I mean, in, in New York City, for example, you have to pay hundreds of dollars to get a premise permit for a handgun. It takes somewhere from three to six months to get it approved. You have to get fingerprinted at one police plaza. You have to go some other place to get the paperwork. You, they make it as difficult and annoying as possible just for a premise permit. That's not for concealed carry. So th there are abuses all over the place. Uh, look, if, if you're asking me what do I think really should be done in response, if, if, if I am in charge of everything, what do I think should be done in response to these two shootings? A thorough review of both cases, and then I'm open to hearing what could have been done to stop either one. And if there is an applicable law from that, that would be the law that I would want passed. But if there is no applicable statutory or law enforcement policy change, then I don't want anything to change because we can't stop everything. You know, my position on this tends to be bad things happen and there are evil people in the world. There's only so much we can do to make each other safe. And it is incumbent upon us as individuals and as citizens to do what we can to keep ourselves safe. But the state is never going to grant you perfect security. And if you try for perfect security, you'll give up too much in the process. So I'm sorry that you were disappointed, Alicia, but I, I do think that you are oversimplifying or perhaps going much further with the position that, than I would. And keep in mind that President Trump himself has been supportive of uh, at least considering red flag laws in different states and the mental health component of this problem. So there's, there's a tremendous pressure that we all are aware of to do something. Uh, but I do not agree that doing something for the sake of anything is, is a good idea. Um, but see, Alicia, you can write in. You can light me up. I, 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 you need to be hold me to account. That's fine. The buck is not perfect. I mean, for for heaven's sakes, he speaks in the third person sometimes. What else do you have to know? Guy's got issues. Misty, President Trump will not be eligible for California's primary ballot unless he releases his tax returns under a new law signed by Governor Gavin Newsom on Tuesday. Can he really do that? What recourse do Californians have? Misty, I, th I don't have a legal answer for you on this. I, I would like to just say, no, of course he can't do that. But I'm not sure that's true. And I never want to tell you something that's not accurate. I can tell you that Gavin Newsom, who is such a slippery, slimy operator, uh, said on TV... I, I, well, I saw the clip of him today, at least, saying 
This law is not about stopping any one individual. This is about transparency for candidates for the state of California. You know, this whole Gavin Newsom thing. And, and that's just a laughable. That's a laughable lie. Right. We all know why California is doing this. We all know that they all have an obsession with getting Trump's tax returns. So, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's see what we have here next. Um, Greg writes, Buck, I recently got married uh, to a socialist. Whoa, Greg. Best of luck to you, my friend. About a month into our relationship, we started talking politics and realized we were on totally different sides. Long story short, we have constantly uh, hours long debates, but they always have been civil. And I promise we never get heated with each other. And, and with just basic facts and data, I have led her more to my side and have gotten her to denounce socialism and Bernie Sanders. Not all hope is lost. Shields high, my friend. Well, Greg, first of all, I'm seeing a photo here of your new bride and a big pup. And both are absolutely lovely and adorable. So you've made great choices, my friend. And it's look, I I have dated liberals. In fact, I'd say half of my girlfriends in life have been liberal. So I am no stranger to dealing with that. And I can tell you that as long as you're willing to have conversations with people rooted in respect and honesty, you can talk about anything. Respect, honesty and the facts as much as you can. Uh, you can talk about anything. You just have to keep it in that place. And I think people can really grow together. And I, I will have you know that there are numerous people in my life who I haven't sought to convert them to conservatism. But I, I have some very close friends that just over the course of knowing me and being around me, and I don't know if they would give me credit for this, but I will give myself credit for it. They have become much more conservative as a result. Uh, some of them were liberals that are now that are now pretty center right, I think you could say. So that's, uh, I'm proud of that, to be honest with you. Scott writes in, rather than wanting to know what kind of weapon these monsters are using, shouldn't we take a look at what kind of psych medications they're on? The CDC says that 38% of people in the U.S. are taking some form of drug that can cause suicidal ideation. And young white boys are being prescribed Ritalin, which is an amphetamine on a horrifyingly regular basis, which the CDC says will make them 9.6 times more likely to have violent outbursts. While Big Pharma is a frequent target of Democrats, Big Education is literally given the power to demand young boys developing minds be altered with Ritalin simply because they don't behave and learn the way that teachers find easy. Love to know your thoughts on this, Buck. Shields high. Well, Scott, I'm not a psychopharmacology expert, at all. So let's just start with that. I, I know about these issues just from reading and from people in my life that I know that have, uh, you know, had to deal with with different mental health problems and issues that are on on these drugs. I, I think that overwhelmingly these kinds of medications are they're really life saving for a lot of people. They give people their lives back. And I think we lose sight of that for those who have. Uh, extreme bipolarity, OCD, schizophrenia. Many of these drugs let them be completely functional, normal, and even happy you know, fellow human beings You know, in their day-to-day. -day. They're not stuck in misery. So that often gets lost in these conversations. Now, 
when you're talking about putting people in the tens of millions, which is what we're talking about in this country on. And of course, there's a huge span, too. Right. I mean, some people have a little bit of anxiety and they take a little bit of something to help calm their anxiety. And it really has a pretty limited uh, psychological effect beyond the neurological impulses of of stress and, and suppressing that. But we are putting tens of millions of people on these uh, mind altering drugs, you know, SSRIs, SNRIs. And and those are just a couple of classes of them. And there's a whole bunch that I'm not even really familiar with. Are there going to be just like with any drug, with any uh, pharmaceutical, are there going to be terrible side effects that affect some person or some people along the way? Yes, absolutely. Um, Do I think that on the whole, these drugs are probably for 99 percent of the people who are taking them who need to be taking them. And I think maybe, Scott, that's where your particular concern is. We're over-prescribing, right? I think that they're, I think that, that uh, uh, psychoactive drugs, these, uh, these different mes- medicines out there for you know, antidepressants and things like that are, are life-saving for a lot of people. But do we, are we over-prescribing things like Ritalin? Possibly. It certainly seems reasonable to me. Uh, And remember, there's really only a couple of generations to even study on this. So and there's more of these drugs in circulation than ever being prescribed than ever before. So my answer, Scott, is it's worth thinking about. And I I don't have a a clear, you know, irrefutable answer for you on this one. And unlike uh, other people that do radio or podcasts, I don't pretend to know definitively everything. I always think that's so funny when I occasionally I'll catch some other show. Where someone just like thinks they're a little a little answer machine for everything, who who really goes through life like that? I just think that's a front. I think there's a dishonesty to that, but it's okay to say you don't know. Uh, that's one thing I hope everyone learns from from this show because it's something that I've learned sometimes the hard way. All right, team, we're gonna have a great show tomorrow because we have a great show every day. Please tell somebody about this podcast, the Buck Sexton Show, on iTunes. Do me a favor. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.